Jean Driscoll is adamant her story is about determination. Born with spina bifida and having used a wheelchair exclusively for the last 30 years, Driscoll has 12 Paralympic medals and two Olympic medals. She's winner of eight Boston marathons. So even with the outstanding season women's basketball had and the great start to Wolfpack baseball this spring and the successes of NC State's Olympic sports, wrestling, track and swimming, and diving, it's Driscoll, who is the executive director for development in the College of Design, who very well may be the most decorated athlete on the university's campus. Determination is an understatement. Driscoll loves the word. She loves that her mother used the word to describe her in a documentary about her life. And Driscoll even used the word as the title of her book she wrote in 2001. I have a book. It's called Determined to Win. And uh, determined, I think, is a great word that describes me. But upon talking to Driscoll, it becomes apparent her story is also one of distances. Short distances that, as a child, she couldn't make, and distances that, as an adult, she would own records over, and the road between. It is incredible that I couldn't even walk one block to school because of the weakness in my legs and the difficulty walking, and yet I became a world record holder in a 26.2-mile race. I'm Chris Saunders, Associate Editor of NC State Magazine, and today Jean Driscoll begins our second season of Hear the Howl. We did the impossible. We actually caught up with the champion who's used to outpacing the field. Twice, in fact. Sarah Lindenfeld Hall wrote a piece about Driscoll in the current issue of NC State Magazine. You've probably seen the cover of that issue, Sweet Potatoes Galore. And we caught back up with her for this episode of the podcast. She talks about her early years adjusting to life with spina bifida, she takes us through her journey of competing in wheelchair sports, and she identifies the best finish line she's ever crossed. Episode 10, Going the Distance. For some reason during the first few weeks that I was growing inside my mother, uh, my spine did not form properly. And so when I was born, uh, there was some damage to my spinal cord. And your spinal cord plugs into your brainstem, goes all the way down your back, and has lots of little uh, nerves that are like wires, and it's how your brain communicates to your body. Driscoll explains that the closer the damage is to the brain stem, the less function a person with spina bifida has. The lower on your spinal cord, uh, the more function you retain. So when I was born, the damage to my spinal cord was low in my back, but I didn't have any feeling or function in my feet. Uh, and the muscles in my legs, really my whole lower body, were weak. But she could walk with the help of braces. She did that for about the first 20 years of her life, but they created a wrinkle for someone who naturally wanted to win at, well, everything. I'm one of five kids, so I grew up being competitive. If you weren't home when mom got home from the grocery store with the ice cream, or even if you were, you were, you were competing for that ice cream because it was gone immediately. Um, but uh, I always wanted to be involved in sport, and I tried um, in softball. I could hit the ball. One time I hit it clear across the playground. But because my running pace was slower than most people's walking pace, I made it to third base. For anybody else, it would have been a home run. Then there were those fitness tests we all remember. Some of us probably don't want to remember and dreaded those days in gym where stretching and running and pushing and pulling up seemed boring. 
not to Driscoll, who wanted to finish tops in every category. She soon found she was a superhero with her upper body strength. I could do more pull-ups than anybody, even with my braces on. I could do more push-ups, more sit-ups than anybody. I compensated for the weakness in my legs when I walked by recruiting stomach muscles. And so my abdominals were very strong and I could do sit-ups all day long and not get tired. And so I outperformed everybody in those activities. But when it came to the running and the jumping, I couldn't do any of that. So I never got that patch. And it was always so frustrating. Uh, years later, when I was involved in, in wheelchair sport, it just felt good to, to be able to say, yeah, I, I've got it, whatever it is. <laughs> Part of her finding she had that it came in high school. After a bicycle accident her freshman year kept her out of school for about two years, she transferred from a private to a public high school. There she met another student who had spina bifida. He invited her to join him to play wheelchair soccer. I was like, wheelchair soccer? How do you play wheelchair soccer? You need your legs to play soccer. So I thought it was going to be hokey and not real sport. Driscoll said no, kept telling him no, despite his persistence. Then finally... I thought the only way I'm going to get this guy off my back is to go to the soccer practice. So I went, and it was nothing like I thought it was going to be. Cheers are crashing and banging, bodies are flying, and I thought, this is sport. The world opened up for Driscoll. Everything changed. Due to her strong upper body, she went from being one of the slowest kids in the schoolyard to one of the fastest competitors in a wheelchair. Soon, wheelchair soccer led to wheelchair ice hockey. There was wheelchair football, wheelchair tennis. You can even square dance in a wheelchair. And when you swing your partner, you get going at a pretty good clip. But it was wheelchair basketball that delivered Driscoll to the University of Illinois. She was offered a spot on the team by head coach Brad Hedrick, whose wife Sharon was a wheelchair athlete. She was actually the first woman to compete in an Olympic exhibition and the first individual with a disability to win a gold medal at the Olympics. The fact that somebody wanted me on their team was so invigorating, so exciting. I was always the last kid picked during recess or during physical education classes. And this guy, who was renowned and his wife had an Olympic gold medal, he wanted me on his team. Driscoll said yes and ended up in Champaign-Urbana playing wheelchair basketball, but also competing in the Illini's wheelchair track program. She loved the workouts in the weight room. She weighed 112 pounds and could bench 210. She loved the speed. What I loved about wheelchair track was going fast. The, the racing chairs look like dragsters. Um, there's a one wheel in the front, and it's a long frame that is, is sort of the length of a, of a bicycle. You remember that feeling you would get when you were brave enough to lift your hands off the handlebars for the first time, taking your bike down a hill? Or the first time that you sped down the highway with your windows down? Limitlessness. Boundlessness. Just go love that, too. I was the kid. I could be first in line uh, after a recess ended, or I could be first in line walking down to the lunchroom. But because I walked so slow, I was always the last one to arrive everywhere. So to be strong and to be one of the fastest people on the basketball court and, and on the roads, that felt awesome. She couldn't get enough of that feeling. She competed in her first Boston Marathon in 1990, didn't 
Driscoll won her first crack at the 26.2-mile event, and she broke the world record by almost seven minutes. I ran one hour, 43 minutes, 17 seconds. Now, for context, an able-bodied runner, a runner running on two legs, the world record for the men right now, I think, is two hours and two minutes, and the world record for the women is around two hours, 14 minutes. Wheels are more efficient than legs, so my time, one hour, 43 minutes, is faster than uh, men and women could, could run it. My best time ever was one hour, 34 minutes, 22 seconds. I say these things so that people can understand the level at which we're competing. This isn't just something nice that we're doing. It was full-time training. Driscoll was the first person ever to win the Boston Marathon eight times. She also took her speed and endurance from the Northeast and went global, competing in the 1992 Paralympics and took home a gold medal in the 4x100 relay. She won medals in the 1996 Paralympics and capped off her career at the 2000 Paralympics where she won a gold, silver, and bronze. And she has two medals from the exhibition she raced in at the Olympic Games. She retired after the 2000 Games in Sydney, but all of her success led her to become a member of the U.S. Olympic Hall of Fame. Barcelona, Australia. Both a long way away from Wisconsin where Driscoll grew up with weak legs that wouldn't allow her to even walk a block. Her determination has carried her around the world and around the country. Great distances. There's Alaska too. That's home to the most difficult event she says she's ever done. The Midnight Sun. It was a nine-day stage race from Fairbanks to Anchorage, Alaska, 367 miles. Some days we went 46 miles, some days it was 35 miles. It rained seven out of the nine days. It was in July, and in Alaska, it was 40 degrees that entire time that we were doing this event. It is the hardest thing I've ever chosen to do. Uh, and one of my happiest moments was crossing that finish line. Driscoll can't quantify with any certainty how many miles she's raced in her storied career. And she's hard-pressed to come up with just one favorite finish line she's crossed. The Boston Marathon will always hold a special place in her heart, she says, and certainly representing her country in the Olympics was a high honor. And any race she won while at the University of Illinois was special too. And that's because... Of their history in providing... Uh, opportunities and services for students with disabilities. It started with World War II veterans coming back from the war with injuries that didn't allow them to use their GI Bills. There were no accessible campuses, college campuses in the 1940s. And uh, long story short, the University of Illinois was the first one to open its doors. As much as Driscoll values all of those finish lines to the races she's run, she also gets great happiness from sharing her story, something she's been doing as a motivational speaker since 2000 and working in development first at the University of Illinois and now at NC State, she's been able to share her story with colleagues and College of Design alumni. She says one of the best things that she gets from telling her story is the way she chooses to frame her spina bifida. I've been doing it for 30 years, and still, when somebody comes up to me and says, you just taught me something, or I didn't know you know, A, B, and C. When somebody understands that disability is like a characteristic, like hair color or eye color, it's not a defining principle. I love that. If they have a new perspective of what disability is and isn't, it doesn't mean inability. 
Um, and it doesn't mean weakness, as I learned during my college years. It is a characteristic, and I still get to define my life. Thank you for listening to Hear the Howl today. A big thank you to Jean Driscoll, who rarely slows down, for taking time to talk to us. Her story is inspiring, and it's amazing to hear her tell it. So I very much appreciate her carving out some time in her busy schedule as the Executive Director for Development in the College of Design to do so. I want to also thank Sarah Lindenfeld-Hall, who is an outstanding freelancer for us at NC State Magazine. She first reported and wrote the story on Jean Driscoll. Sarah does amazing work for us, from sports stories to the outstanding feature in the current winter issue of the magazine that chronicles the efforts of alumni who answered the call when Hurricane Florence tore through eastern North Carolina last fall. Speaking of outstanding features, Bill Kruger has immortalized sweet potatoes. They are not yams, people! With his cover story detailing how the crop helped save the North Carolina agriculture economy and could very well do the same for African countries. Thanks also to Morgan Holcomb, who has returned for another season of producing Here the How. She's so dedicated to this, she'll even head straight in after a weekend trip to Las Vegas to work on recording and editing an episode. And when I need a synonym for life, she thinks up Journey. She's a walking thesaurus. She does it all. As always, seasons and episodes don't happen without her. And thanks to my managing editor, Sylvia Adcock, for her editing eyes on this story. And just a reminder, we are only several weeks away from the spring issue hitting mailboxes in early May. I can't tell you how excited we are about the issue in which we tell some stories in ways we have never tried before. You'll hear more from Morgan and myself on the next episode of Hear the How when that issue comes out. Until then, we leave you with the words Gene Driscoll uses to sign all of her autographs with. We think it's good advice. Always sign dream big and work hard, but then sometimes I I also uh, will sign life is exciting um, because, because it is.